you're building a brand. What do you think a personal brand, what does that mean in your mind? I believe we're introduced before we even have a conversation. People are looking you up online, whether you like it or not. They are judging you. They are actually giving a vote for, do I trust this person? Do I want to connect with them? Am I ever going to do business with them and all of this? And so what's happening is before you're entering a room, you have people that are talking about, and we've called it reputation before, right? I believe this online presence that's built is your brand, how you show up to meetings, where you are online, how do you engage with content? What's the content you're posting out there? What is it you actually do? What is it you say? What is it you believe? All of that gets put into, I believe, almost like this pot and you go, that's who you are. That's your brand. When you show up, it should be something that people can look at. They can feel it. It's your energy. It's all the things that you stand for. In today's ultra-competitive business world, being a successful entrepreneur or business owner can be very challenging. Fortunately, contemporary times have blessed us with resources for tackling those challenges and getting us to success more quickly than we could have imagined. Welcome to The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs grow incredible companies. This podcast looks at the five keys to unlocking success as an entrepreneur. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason's mission is to use his gifts of teaching and leadership to help others get the results they want out of life. Join Jason every week and learn the keys to grow a truly successful business. Welcome back to another episode. I'm the real Jason Duncan, and I've got a great guest today on the show. And this is a guy, that Brian Covey, I'll introduce him in just a second, but this guy, he I was introduced to him from two different parties, but at the same time, and those two parties didn't know each other. So when you get introduced to people like that, you want to pay attention. So if you've got introductions coming your way, people are referring you to somebody. If you get two at the same time, these two people don't know each other, you probably ought to take a minute and get to know that person. But I want to say, before we get into that, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, Whatever podcast player that you listen to, we're, we're very grateful to be syndicated on the C-Suite Radio Network, so they push us out to all the podcast players. So whatever podcast player you listen to, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, whatever it happens to be, thank you for listening. I would appreciate if you'd subscribe and leave a review. And the review, as I say, is not about my ego and making me feel good, although it does make me feel good to get five-star reviews on the show. But it's about the algorithm. The algorithm on these podcast things, the way it works is the higher review, the more people that are subscribing it lifts it up into the uh, into the higher echelon so that pe more people see it. And the reason I want more people to see it is because the purpose of the show is to inspire people just like you as an entrepreneur to act and perform at a higher level. And so if I can get the show in front of more people, they can understand how to get to success more quickly. That's why I want you to take the time. So hit the pause button right now, flip over to the review, give me a good five-star review. And if you don't think I deserve it, don't leave anything less. Just send me an email and we'll talk about it. And I'll do whatever I can to get make this five-star worthy for you. But thank you for listening. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that we're recording right here in my training room at one of the companies I own, Energy Lighting Services, here in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee. And I'm not doing many live shows anymore. Um, I did a little uh, did a little story today on Instagram, just kind of behind the scenes, and I had the guy say, oh, you're still doing live shows? I didn't think you were doing live shows. Well, actually, I'm not doing very many, but every once in a while you get guests that it makes it makes sense to take the time to come do a live show. So we're, well, we're not producing, we're producing live, but he's sitting right here across. We're not on Zoom looking at each other across screens. We're actually live and in person, but we're on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan. And you can watch all the episodes of all the guests I've had. I think, I don't number my episodes, but I think Brian is somewhere around guest 90, like we're close to a hundred. So um, I think we've already got the hundredth guest scheduled. I just don't remember who it is. I just know it's coming. But uh, but let me go ahead and introduce uh, Brian today. So it's Brian Covey. And um, like I said, I was introduced. Two different people at the same time introduced me to this guy. 
from pro soccer player to VP of one of the largest mortgage companies in America. This guy's pretty versatile. He's got a big, wide range of things that he's been able to do in life. Mindset is really good and important to him. Staying healthy, mentally fit is very important to him. He's a proud soccer dad. He's written a book called Conversations with Kobe. He's got a great podcast called The Brian Kobe Podcast, which I happen to be uh, guest on not too long ago. I don't know if it's aired yet, but I know he's recorded it, but uh, I was on his show. This guy has helped mortgage leaders get away from this old school doggy dog world. And he, his company, Loan Depot, he runs to create really good company culture, make sure that the people enjoy working for the company, that they help help people get into the homes to borrow the money that they need to get into the homes to make their lives better. And we're going to dig into his entrepreneurial story because it's not your typical entrepreneurial story. It's not a guy who went out and got Series A funding and started this company. He's in a traditional industry of mortgages, but doing it in a, a kind of a different way. Plus, we're going to talk a little bit about personal branding because this guy is really interested in personal branding and what he's doing with it and what I'm doing with it. I think we'll have some pretty interesting conversations around that today, too. So um, I'm going to I'm going to welcome to the show and I want you to help me welcome Brian Covey to the show, Brian. Hey. We're here, man. That's it. Live. I haven't done one of these uh, since Vegas. We were on Brad Lee's. Only ones we've done in the last six months in person. So I was looking forward to it. It's much better than Zoom. Well, it is. And, and what's funny is when I started doing the show, I started, I recorded my first episode ever, the Christmas week, December 2020. And I was committed to live only. And I was only going to do live. And I started getting requests as the show started getting popularity from people out of the country wanting to be on the show. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm doing it doing live. If you want to get here to Nashville, I'll make it happen. And I had people start pushing back. Well, you really ought to do Zoom. So then I started doing Zoom. And at first I didn't like it. But now I really dig it. And so doing live is a lot of work. I had to set up all these lights and the cameras and and equipment and all this kind of stuff. But it is really cool to be across the... And see, Brad was on my show. And he came, he flew into Nashville to get it. I was only doing a live. Oh, wow. And then he said, well, you need to come on my show. But I'm like... All this COVID crap and the planes and flying. I'm like, I'm going to wait till we're 100% back to normal. I'm not flying until this is it's over. It's worth it. The yeah. studio is legit. It's yeah. worth it. Well, I, I've been invited. Open invitation. I just, I'm too kind of grumpy about the whole TSA angry people mad at everybody. That's yeah, not, you it's know. changing. I can tell you I've been flying a lot and it is getting better. Every time I go, I feel like it's just starting to get back. So as soon as they lift the mask, mask restrictions, I'm like, let me back on. Yeah, well, that's yeah. kind of where I am because yeah. I feel like that, you know, we're we're all treated as suspects, and we're like, I'm going to get the police on you when you get off the airplane if you don't if you pull your mask down longer than it takes to throw a pretzel back or something. I'm yeah. like, come on, people, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. so over this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, enough with that crap. What's going on with you, man? You, you, so you live right here in the Nashville area. Yeah, in Franklin. So you're in Franklin, which is about uh, probably an hour from here. Yeah. And uh, you've got your own podcast. Let's talk first about that because I love podcasters being on my show and I was already on yours. So how did you get your podcast going? Tell about it. Oh, so wild story. Like most of us probably got into it two years ago. I saw this opportunity to start to brand myself and to get my message out to more people because part of my job is recruiting and retaining and educating people about buying a home, finding the best loan officers in the country, training up our leaders. And I thought, well, I've got this cool network I've built over 20 years in the industry. I've met some great people. What if I were able to bring them on? And all the things that they've taught me, mentors, coaches, what if I brought them on and we had conversations? Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I'm like getting these great guests. COVID hits. Literally after I filmed my first four live like this, I'm like, I better adapt quickly. So I start reaching out to people. And here's what's really cool is I adapted so quick. All these folks that usually were traveling, speaking on stages, they were at home. So they said yes. So I had a couple breakthroughs on some early guests that I would say, uh, one of those today, David Meltzer was one of my first favorite, like I'd say really? like bigger guests, right? Yeah. And I really believe at the time it was because he wasn't traveling, he wasn't speaking. And, and if you're persistent and you build up enough, what I would say, value in the market, and they go, you know what? I align up with what you're doing. You're bringing value back to people. You're talking about how you can create happiness, how do you create alignment in your family, all these things. I was like, wow. So from there, we just started to build it out. And ironically, that's where the book came from, was the book was actually written off 11 of our favorite episodes from the podcast. And we took those lessons and said, okay, not everybody listens to podcasts. I know it's hard to believe for us. Yeah, I know. But we're like, we're going to do a written format. And so now we're about the same. We're getting close to 100 episodes two years later. And you know this, like it has been such a development for me. And I, I've found a ton of joy. Learned a lot as I've gone through. 
Mm. That's for sure. Well, it's it's interesting about podcasting in general because it's not quite the status of being an author, but but podcasting today, when you say, yeah, I have a podcast, people stop and they're like, oh, you have really? a podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Like, it, books are still, as an author, it's still the, it's the yeah. big, you, and you, you've got to publish books, so you're yeah. ahead of me on that. I'm working on one. But when you say, I'm a published author, I've got a book, oh, wow, that's, that, that is something. But podcasting yeah. is kind of becoming that thing a little bit. Are you I finding think, that I as think well? it is. And here's what I found is the relationships you're able to build from that. And then all it takes is one person. And I always say this, you're one connection, one person away from that next opportunity. Or someone in our world that I go, I wasn't connected with them before. They happen to like the guest. And so that's why I brought on a diversity of guests on there that are not just real estate, mortgage, entrepreneurs even. We've brought people on that don't even play in that space technically. And you go, okay, that's how we're going to connect with people. And it was the stories that connected us all. And so a large part of our show, you know this because you were on, is I want to hear people's stories of overcoming adversity because I think for a lot of us, we're a lot more alike than we're not. In the world and the media would like to think we're not that alike when the reality is we've all been through a lot yeah. and we've all overcome something major. But what if we were able to share those stories? And that was the genesis of it. And, and I've, just, I've had a blast. So, you know, this, it's a lot of work. But on the other side of it, the fulfillment is I learn and I get to give something back to people. Yeah, I've so much enjoyed doing this show because I get to meet people like you. And and I think the both people who, uh, it was a marketing company to market media, yeah. who entered it, who said you should talk to Brian, and then uh, Justin Mosley, who was a former guest on my show. And since he became a guest on the show, now we've become really good friends. We hung out already, you know, one, one night this week. Hung I saw. Out. Yeah, so, so we, <laughs> like, those two people introduced us. And it's because of the podcast, I get to meet you. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have met you otherwise. And, there, you know, I'd met Brad Lee at an event a few years back, but I wouldn't have ever got to sit across from Brad for an hour and a half and have a conversation about life, yeah. except for the fact that I have a podcast. And it's not just it's not just you and him, it's, it's dozens and dozens, almost, almost 100 other people that I've gotten to meet. Yeah. And most have been fantastic. I've had a few that were like, eh, it was an okay conversation, but nothing to write home about. Yeah. yeah but you're gonna have that. But most of the guests have been, wow, that was yes. really, really fascinating. There are people that you would never be able to meet. You're right, that they come on a show and, and that's the connection point. But then from there, what I found is fascinating is like you get on the show and you go, wow, they do all these other things I didn't know. Uh -huh. And that was our connection point. When I thought it was going to be this, it was actually that. Yeah. And that's what I've enjoyed. And then the people that write the reviews or write in and we'll take a clip and it's the unexpected clip I'm always so fascinated by is I thought we were going to talk about this topic because this is what they're skilled in. This is what I prepped for conversation went over here. That's where it needed to go. And that was what we gave, you know, to the people that listen in is like, that was the nugget for that show. So what did you, when did you put the book out conversations with Kobe? Year this week. So we, yeah, this is what's so good timing for us is literally a year ago and all the Facebook memories come up. Right. So I'm going through all that and it's just, man, it was, I was overwhelmed with like, I remember how nervous I was to do the book and like, is anybody going to buy it outside of like my parents? You know, I'll buy some. <laughs> and the next thing you know, people start buying and all that. So it's been a year. And what's cool is it still has this life. And what I found is after a year, you know, I had some people that didn't see it a year ago. I wasn't connected with them. So the power of social media and, and just bringing that up is like the book was written a year ago, but there's people that I've met over the last year. They didn't know I wrote a book. They weren't interested in it then. Now they're seeing it and people are commenting on it. And then the co-authors, I call them like the contributors, they're all loving it because they have a chapter. It's something for them to push out. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny, but I didn't know that's what your book was about. Um, I, I, I wanted to write a book on the five keys of success because that's something I've been studying yeah. casually for a long, long time. And I thought, well, what better way than to do interviews live like this and then have editors take the, the transcripts and just let's fold this into the book. So I'm actually working on finally, and the book is not going to be titled The Five Keys of Success, even though that's what I wanted. My marketing yeah. company said, no, nah, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. So, I, I, so I wrote an ebook with that and put some stuff in there, but oh, I've nice. got an actual printed book that I'm going to work on that I'm going to pull in some of the stories of people that exited, people that didn't exit, people that, and, and my book's going to be about the exit lifestyle, yeah. what that looks like. Anyway, enough, yeah. enough about the books and stuff. That's cool though. But how did you... How did you get your start in 
mortgages? Because that's your thing. You've been, I mean, the personal branding I want to get to, yeah. but let's go with where you started in your corporate career and then how that transitioned to more of an entrepreneurial thing. So how did you get started in the mortgage business? So crazy enough, my whole life was all built around soccer from an early age. And it, those that know my story, I'd made the Olympic team and I was part of the pool there and the national team. So I spent my teenage years traveling like over to Europe, going to Mexico, all of this. So I went and played D1 college soccer. Love finance. I realized through classes, I liked economics, I liked finance, I liked marketing. So I'm coming out of college and I'd fortunately gotten a contract to go play professionally. And I'm coming back to finish my degree, which I'd promised my parents to do. And my resume, literally Jason read like soccer, 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 soccer coach, soccer, soccer, soccer. So I'm applying at places. Nobody's hiring me. Like, what's your experience? I'm like, well, I did a lot of soccer, right? What position did you play? Soccer? Goalkeeper. No kidding. Which is like, most people are like, you guys are the crazy ones. Which, by the way, <laughs> side note, my daughter now, about to be 15 in two months, she's a goalkeeper as well. So my whole life, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on that, but that's, that's the joy of it. But yeah, I'm leaving college, and I'm trying to apply to all these places. At the time, they're actually, and this was 2001, there was a hiring freeze at some of the financial services because First Tennessee Bank, Edward Jones, all these places, I thought, I'm going to get a job. Like, I'm, I'm going to be this financial advisor. Like, I'm going to be this person. Like, I've seen all my friends' dads. Nobody would hire me. So I go to career fair, right? I'm finishing up my last few classes that are there. I go in talking to people. And there was one company, Wells Fargo Financial, that said, we hire athletes. We will train you. You will come in entry level. You're going to work even on Saturdays as well. But we will teach you credit, income, assets, underwriting. You're going to be processing, like doing a lot of paperwork. But we'll teach you how to sell. We'll teach you how to do loans. I'm like, well, cool. If you hire athletes, like, that's me. I fit the bill. And I wasn't too proud. I thought I was going to go back to coaching. I'd even gone and got my B license for coaching and all that. I thought, well, I'll go do that. And thank goodness I didn't. And I went ahead and just pursued something. But quite honestly, I drove almost an hour away. It's in a strip mall with a Chinese buffet, pizza place <laughs> on the corner. And I remember going back. I had a great manager, which is what set everything from there. And so fast forward about a year and a half into it of doing consumer loans, auto loans, you know the furniture financing you see on TV, like no payments for four years, no interest, blah, blah. Yeah. That was us. We would review the credit in the office, and then we would try to upsell or sell other products. That was me. And so I learned how to truly cold call, cold call on the phone, calling people, hundreds of people a day. So the skills I learned, I tell everybody, might not have been the coolest job to start with, but then I transitioned a year and a half later as all my friends and myself, and then now my wife, we were looking to buy a house. And the process was horrible. It was absolutely, it was horrible. Like all the paperwork, all, all the things. The paperwork's you crazy on buying a house. It was nuts. And so I'm looking at that going, well, I understand credit income assets. I have friends buying houses. I have friends that are realtors. This could be great. And so I made a full-time switch over about a year and a half into it and said, I'm going all in on mortgage. And then fast forward 20 years later, and I've, I've, I've seen a lot of markets. <laughs> so did you go, so you Wells Fargo, general credit. Yeah, financial. General fa financial stuff and credit. Then you went straight into mortgage only. Did you go work for a mortgage lender? Stayed at Wells Fargo. 13 years I spent in corporate America. Okay. And so I continued to originate, which was fun. For the next several years, I got to originate. I was the guy on the streets, going to open houses, knocking on doors, showing up in the model homes, working with home builders. At that time, I was in Memphis. So all these condos, if you remember back, the apartments were converting to condo. That was the big transition, like 2002, 2005. There wasn't enough housing, kind of like today. So everybody's like, well, let's convert these apartments to condo. And there was a huge developer downtown, Henry Turley. If you go down to Mud Island, you'll see a lot of the projects that have been converted. And so I got to be one of the dedicated loan officers. And so I'd sit on site and do all of that. Mm. And then kind of move my way through, branch manager, area manager, you know, all the corporate stuff. Uh, 13 years and I had to, I was out. So what did you do next? So then I went to a startup at that time was Movement Mortgage out of Charlotte. And their owner, still a friend, was in the NFL. It had this interesting idea of like, we're going to take all the corporate stuff, no suits, like we're going to change everything. And it was more about people and it was more about speed. It was more about technology. I thought, okay, here's the cool part. One of my friends that was actually at Wells and worked with us, they helped recruit me over to that company. Hmm. And so I probably wouldn't have left. I'm loyal, like, a, like an athlete. I wouldn't have left. So that was my exit out of corporate America, which then four years there. And then that's when I joined, joined Lone Depot. So four years at Movement, and then you join Loan Depot. So Loan yeah. Depot is huge, right? Huge now. Yeah, we're top four, and um, we're actually the second largest non-bank. So you got Wells up there still, and you got UWM. Rocket is the top. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's Quicken, right? Yeah. 
Who, who's, who's buying Quicken? Who's the guy? UWM. Did? They're a wholesale lender. Yeah, United Wholesale Mortgage. Huh. Yeah, they're a big one. Then you got us up there too, and you've got you've got some unique players. You still have Wells, Chase is still kind of in that mix a little bit, but we're the fastest growing. When you look at, we're only 12 years old, whereas Rocket Quicken is over 30 years old. Yeah. So you look at our trajectory and where we're headed, we're, we're headed in the right direction. What's the, in your opinion, as somebody behind the curtain doing the loans, what's the worst part of the mortgage loan business right now, in your opinion? Hmm. I think there's still a lot of bad actors. There are people out there, whether it's a VA loan that we're working with, a veteran or an active duty, that don't understand products and programs. They're still out for the commission versus out to truly serve. There's a lot of folks that aren't continuing to evolve, I would say, in like being educated. And I think being a servant in, in, in that role and realizing that this is someone's dream to own a home and not treating it so transactional. Like there's a human being on the other side of it. Right. You got a human, like you gotta, you gotta put yourself in their spot. I remember back when I was 24 and we were trying to buy our first house, how stressed I was. At the time, my wife, Nicole, now we're engaged. I mean, think about all the pressure you're going through. Yeah. You don't know if you can qualify. You're like trying to scrape up money to get a down payment. It's stressful. And so I would say that's the thing that we still need to work on in our industry is how do we connect online, but then build a true relationship and give advice and realize this is probably for most American families, the cornerstone of their wealth. Yeah. That, that's, that's the cornerstone of it. So we need to get that right for them. We need to slow down and not treat it like a transaction. So the money, uh, this is a curious, this is a curiosity question yeah. for me. So the money behind mortgages. So so the average price of a house, I don't know, in Middle Tennessee is probably half a million dollars, four hundred five, something four or five hundred thousand dollars. So if a loan uh, company, whether it's a bank or a non-bank lender, and they say, okay, I'm going to lo- I'm going to loan the Duncans uh, for half a million dollars for a house, where does that cash actually come from? Yes, yeah, so you have the banks that are really funding behind the scenes. And is that based on deposits? It could be. If you're a bank, yes. So we have warehouse lines that we'll set up, and those could be hedge funds. Those could be people in the secondary market that you have that are large bank institutions as well. And so we'll actually have a warehouse line, like at Loan Depot. And it's a credit line that we're able to actually fund those loans. And then many of those loans will get sold in the secondary market to Fannie or Freddie, right? right. They could go to VA or FHA. But then there's this whole other component of servicing. And so we service majority of our loans. And so what you'll see is on the statement, we service it, but the money behind it is still either a warehouse line or a credit or bank, someone that's there actually providing the money. And think about then, those then are in securities that people invest in, right? So you'll have all of that that still goes through. So the money's truly, if you really want to think about it, it's coming from us, the people. Mm-hmm. funding all of that back through. That's, that's I, the cycle. I had a, I was watching a TikTok video the other day and this guy said, I want to explain uh, the economy in one short story. And he told this story. And I'm probably going to screw it up. I haven't retold the story. Yeah. So I don't know if you've heard this, but he said, so a man goes into a hotel in town and he says, I want to look at the room before I decide to rent it. I'm going to leave a hundred dollar bill here. Or can I go up? So he leaves a hundred dollar bill on the counter and he goes up and looks at the room. Well, while he's up there looking at the room, the hotelier takes the hundred dollar bill and he goes to the butcher and he pays off his hundred dollar debt to the butcher. And the butcher takes the hundred dollars. He goes and pays off the, the debt to the prostitute <laughs> that he, that, and then the prostitute runs back to the hotelier, pays off the hotel. So, and then the man comes back down from the hotel room and says, ah, I've decided I don't want to stay here and takes his hundred dollar bill back. Everybody's out of debt and no money exchanged hands. How does that happen? But that's so true. That's how our economy's working. That's how it's going through today. And you think about it, you'll even see some of the TikTok videos where like if you go into a bank and let's say you want to withdraw a certain amount of money, depending on the bank, you can't actually withdraw that money the, in cash. The first time that happened to me freaked me out. And this was a long time ago. I needed 12 grand to buy a used vehicle. Yeah. I don't even remember what, what I was even buying, but it was 12 grand. I was going to pay cash. I just, I just wanted 12,000. Uh, Mr. Doug, we don't have it. I'm like, you don't have it? Like, what? I know I have my money in here. Where is it? <laughs> my statement says it's here. Where I've given is it, it to the butcher. <laughs> so you think about it. And that's where a lot of like, the economics comes into play. You know, people ask, like, college did teach us some things of what's actually happening out there. It's an interesting economy right now. So what happens to the loan industry, what you're doing, when, when the blockchain technology is fully enveloped and we, we don't need all these middlemen? And I don't, think, I don't guess as much about the loan as much as it is the title people and all the stuff, the other people involved in the closing, do you think that'll affect your industry? It will. And it's already started to kind of come into it. And so here's what we think will happen is one, you've got AI that's coming through now where you're already starting to reduce documentation 
which I think is important in our industry because that'll reduce cost. Think about every document has to be reviewed by a person. That person has to get paid. So if you have an underwriter, let's say, in the, the loan process, they don't have to look at certain documents anymore like homeowner's insurance. You could actually scan that in and a computer could read it. So why do you need a person to look at that? That's an easy document. Think about W-2s, think about pay stubs, think about now and bank statements. Fannie and Freddie both just released the other day. You can actually look at bank statement deposits for certain loan programs and you could see the deposits that are there. We can read those. We could actually come up with what your income is. So no more do we have to go back and get tax returns. I think in the future, that'll start to be minimized, unless you're self-employed, right? Like the, the folks that were actually have K-1s and we got true self-employment. But what we should try to do with blockchain and some of these others, how do we integrate title, appraisal, all of these components today that they're completely compartmentalized out. It should be simplified. So you're starting to see now what the overhaul is, is documentation reduction, which will drive costs down. So you may see some of this, like there's some folks right now, they're talking about, okay, how do we actually get like Bitcoin, for example, to be an accepted use of funds? I think, I think it's not too far away. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to start to see, the banks are already starting to look at it. So I think our industry is ripe for disruption. What, uh, now we're recording this, just to, I want to date it properly. <laughs> we're recording this on the 4th of March, 2022. Rates are, are slowly creeping back up. I was actually looking at some investment properties in the month of February. And every time I would call my guy, my mortgage guy, he was like, yeah, they went up since we talked last time. I mean, they're creeping. Uh, but the Fed, the Fed is predicted to increase prime or you know, adjust prime up. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen here? I mean, you're on the inside of the market. Prime will have to go up, I think just due to inflation, what's there. Is it 50 basis points this year? Is it 100 basis points? I don't know. Somewhere in that range, I think it'll get there just to kind of curb some of the inflation that we are seeing. But then you take the war that's happening right now, that's kind of going on, you go, well, people are fleeing to the states to invest money, whether it's real estate or to put their money over in a safe place. And so we're starting to see that come in. What I think will probably happen short term, though, is you look at rates have gone up almost 100 basis points in a year. Mortgage rates. Like, do they continue to go up? I don't think they go up much. I really don't. I think you've seen a little bit of the seesaw back and forth. We actually dropped earlier this week and late last week. We dropped a little bit. Well, unfortunately, we gave it all back because mm -hmm. the 10-year went back up. And so some of that correlation, it's not directly correlated to the 10-year, but there were some things that were working together. And so we've, we've seen rates where today you might be in the high threes, low fours. Investment properties, more. Yeah. And you're starting to see now they're starting to slow down second home and investment properties. Many lenders have started to add on for those because guess who's got the money to buy? Investors. And so they're like, hold on, do we want a bunch of investors owning homes and creating not what was 2007, 2008, it's a totally different market, right. but do we want that market being created? Maybe not. So I saw a story this morning in Arizona. You've probably seen this in Phoenix. You actually have hedge funds and large investment institutions buying new construction builds from some of the national builders buying hundreds of homes. So that tells you where the market's going. They're, they're banking on appreciation and people are gonna pay a high rent. Yeah, we, so, so we just sold our home, which we, and we thought we were gonna die in it. Like we thought that would be the forever house. We just sold it, just moved this week. And we were, we're renting. We decided we're just gonna take a year, maybe two, and just to see what happens. So we don't owe anybody anything. It's like, and we've cashed out at the amazing, beautiful yeah. time. Yeah. But so the reason I bring that up is that the, it's a corporation, it's a REIT that owns the house we're living in. And Doesn't surprise me. It, well, and it's, you know, I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to yeah. get myself in trouble, but I, I am not at all happy. Yeah. I mean, it was it was difficult to get in. I couldn't, yeah. it was all automated. And then now the people that I talk to when I get on the phone finally are fantastic. Sure. And, and the maintenance guy that I'm now got his personal cell phone number because I've only been in the house three days and he's had to come every day. Oh, wow. it, it's like this big corporate yeah. machine mm -hmm. and the rent rate is insane. Like what we're paying now, uh, except for the house we just moved out of, is higher by a multiple than yeah. every other mortgage we've ever had in our life, yeah. except for the house we just sold. And so that's happening and it scares me. I don't like it. I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm an open market. They can yeah. do what they want. But as the consumer, I'm like, nah, I'm not digging this at all. Yeah. They're so rigid, you know, because I wanted, I wanted just to just rent a house from somebody and say, look, I'll pay your year rent up front. I'm going to take care of it like my own. I'm not your typical renter. That's right. You know, but nope, we don't do that. Nope, you got to pay it online. Nope, yeah. you got to do this. Nope, you got can't even get the can't even get the utilities in my name. You know, 
There's no trash pickup provided, even though I'm in the city limits. So I got to figure that out on my own. Wow. It, it, it's just nuts. It's the hassle. And that's what people, they, they don't always think through all those steps. Because then on the other side, if you're a homeowner, I mean, I'm a big believer, of course, in that. But then you have what I tell her is, you need to make sure you budget for all the improvements you're going to do. Because you will, no matter what home you move into, even if it's new, you're going to spend money to change this, change that. Even if it's paint, you're going to spend money. That's true. Yeah. Now let's talk about entrepreneurship because as a guy, if people are listening to the show, they're thinking, okay, this dude was with Wells Fargo for 13 years. Movement, now he's with Lone Depot, huge companies, corporate guy, W2. Like how does how how do you fit into the entrepreneurial world? Is it the personal brand, what you're trying to build on the backside? How do you yep. fit? What so, do you think? So I, I think I'm an entrepreneur with an entrepreneurial spirit. There you go. And so what I've told everybody is, so on the side, I do invest in real estate. So we talked about we're closing on another property today in Florida. So I love real estate. I know it. I understand it. It makes sense to me. But on the side, I do have other investments that as I've gone through the business that I've decided to invest outside of mortgage in real estate because there are companies that are out there. And that's what I tell everybody is you don't have to go full time into entrepreneurship, meaning you don't have a W-2 job, 1099 job or something. What I believe, I think Ed Milet coined this one. I'll give him credit for it. He talked about the really true wealthy entrepreneurs have a stable income that provides whatever they're living and what's there. And then you're branching off of that and you're starting to invest in multiple other companies. And that's where I've decided that's where I'm going to play because I understand it. But I love what I get to do. I get to build a team. There's no ceiling in what I do. You know, our team went from gosh, 125 million in annual fundings to 2.4 billion in four years. Like, I love what I do. I'm good at what I do. So why, why would I go away from that and just, you know, I see people all the time, I'm just going to quit my job. I'm totally out. I'm going to go all in over here. That's not my story. My story is I've gotten better and better and hired coaches to help me become a better leader to own this space. Well, guess what? Along the way, I've learned a few things. And so now I know when I invest in a company or I want to be one of those kind of silent investors, I love that because I can read financials really, really well. I understand industries. I know how to do my homework. And that, I will say, corporate experience taught me some things that I can look at a company and understand what's the lifespan of that? Does it have the right people running it? Does it have the right culture there? Am I going to make money? Should I invest in this company? And whether it's sports or um, there's an investment that we're actually part of that's a golf sanctuary. I don't know if you've heard down in Brentwood, but it's a pretty cool, like you'd never think I'd be involved in something like that. But it's a friend of mine, one relationship that came and said, hey, we're going to do this. I like it. Why shouldn't we do that? So that's where I tell everybody is, to be an entrepreneur, you might define it a little bit different. I'm an entrepreneur with an entrepreneurial spirit. Okay. What do you think an entrepreneurial spirit, what def, what distinguishes that from any other type of spirit? I'm willing somebody? to take a lot of risk. Yeah. Like I've, I've, I've made some bad decisions along the way. I've, I've lost it all in 2007, 2008, over leveraged, lost it all, started over. But I'm not afraid of risk. I'm not afraid of betting on myself. And I think where I've gotten better along in the game is I'm a student of the game. So I think the best entrepreneurs are always learning. And I also recognize I'm not perfect to invest in everything. Like people are talking about today, like whether it's Bitcoin or NTFs and, or NFTs and all this, I'm going, okay, if I don't understand it, I'm not investing in it. It's old Warren Buffett rule. And so I think the best entrepreneurs are willing to take the risk, but you also need to be a student. You need to understand what you're investing in, mm -hmm. whether it's a company or people, your personal brand. All of that to me is this modern entrepreneur. They can also be at home, by the way, with their family and create a life that you're not tied to something that you go, man, I built this. I sacrificed 10 years of my life. I'm finally making money. Look, that's, that's not my definition of success. That's not my desire. Like I've built a life that aligns with what I'm good at, what I want to do, and also allows me to be a dad and a husband and do things I want. We're going to take a break from our show right now to bring you our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. Yeah, man, that sounds so good. And I know that there's a lot of people listening to the show that are, that are, their entrepreneurial spirit, just like you're talking about, but they have, they're still W two or 1099. You know, they're, they're not they're not out on their own with the K one and LLC. Yeah. And and to hear you say that is so encouraging to me. And I'm a K one guy. I own multiple companies. Yeah. I would be a terrible employee. I could not ever go back and work for anybody else again. But I love what you're saying, and I appreciate that so much. And I think Ed's right. If Ed didn't in fact say what you you gave him credit for, that. There, there's this saying that uh, uh, wealthy have seven streams of income, but yeah. they forget that people forget. Well, you got to have one that you can depend on first. Yeah, that's how they <laughs> built the others. That's is right. They made excess to go invest. Yeah, and yeah. so your your steady stream of income through Loan Depot Absolutely. as a loan originator and or what what is kind of what's your so title? Now, now I'm a real vice president, and so really I'm in charge of. I've opened all of these new branches and stores, and here's what I tell guys: the end of the day, my job is to recruit and retain the best people in the market. And so I create leaders that create other leaders that create other leaders. Because I believe within our organization, whether you're an originator, a processor, an underwriter, it doesn't matter what your role is. If we all work together, the culture we create is we create this amazing experience for our customers. And so I love what I get to do, man, because every day I'm an internal coach for our team and I'm getting to help people build their business plans, build their personal brands, increase their net worth. I get to do all of that. And, and they just happen to be work at the same company, right? But I was like, look, I'd be nervous of a coach that's never built something or never actually had success somewhere. And that's what I say is every day, like I show up, there, there is a business running, guys. There are results on this. Like I'm still the guy that picks up the phone and recruits people. I'm the guy that calls the broker at the top real estate company. I'm still the guy out there like hustling to build a business because there, there's no end in sight. I've got 3% market share. I mean, Jason, 3%. What's the total market of, uh, what's the total market cap right now? So this year, there'll be over $3 trillion about in mortgages written. So three I think trillion. Three trillion. Yeah. So here's a crazy stat for you, by the way. Close to $25 trillion in home equity was created over the last couple of years. So people that either own their home free and clear or they've just paid down their mortgage and what their home is valued at, close to $25 trillion of home equity. And so that's, that's an opportunity for us because could they take that cash out? Could they go invest in a company? Could they go invest in another property? So as a mortgage advisor, you're not just helping someone buy a home. You're helping them actually manage their debts create an investment structure and strategy so they can go invest somewhere else. Today, that's the largest cash out refinance reason, by the way. Pull cash out to go invest in another property. Because mortgage rates are so low. Absolutely, even if you're buying an investment, here's what I say is, even if you got a rate that was five or 6%, my first house was seven, by the way, so it doesn't, bo- doesn't bother. There's people who go, oh, I had a double digit, that's awesome. Historically, rates are exceptionally low. Why wouldn't you go put money in the market to something that's going to appreciate and that you can actually have cash flow? Well, you and I both know there's a guy locally that, that always talks on the radio about, would you borrow against your home to invest in the stock market? And he says this for years on the radio. And, I'm, and I never really knew. I didn't know. This is pre-entrepreneurship for me. But now I'm like, absolutely. Like, why would I not go get money at 2 3 4% to go to, I'm not a stock market guy, but get into yeah. the, some sort of investment market where you can make 10 12 18% depending on how things turn out, that's a good money play for anybody. Yeah, and what I'd say is those people like myself that are the entrepreneur with the entrepreneurial spirit, I take parts of that and say, yes, this makes sense, right? Like we lived on the envelope system, by the way. Like we were we were that that couple. That I went, did too, man. Oh man, we were getting out of debt and all that. And then I go, but you know what, where I am today, education matters. And so what I've realized is, yes, you may pay your home down to a certain level and what your tolerance is, and everybody's a little different, but that cash should not be sitting in your home, I believe, in today's market, where we are in. Because 10 years from now, I'm not gonna have a chance to come back and make up this appreciation, make up these investment opportunities. Yeah. You can't make up for time. You know, so I, just, I would disagree with that and just say, compound interest and compounding of your investments, time is not on your side if you don't invest now. I think about if you were outside of the real estate market the last few years, and you missed a near record, almost 20% appreciation last year. Think about if you didn't own a home during that season. When are you going to get that again? Yeah. This year, it's our going house, to be under 10. Dude, dude, our house went up 74% in four years. Think about that. 74%. So if, if you were in the camp, and let's just say you had everything just even paid off there, and you didn't invest in other areas, you could have missed an opportunity. What if you had taken some of that cash out and bought another property, and it also went up? Say it was only 30 40%. 
That's crazy. It's hard to find another investment like that. So your entrepreneurial kind of spirit obviously coming through in a lot of things, but you but you're also very big and keen on the idea of a personal brand, yeah. which is why you started a podcast and why you written the book. And even though you're a W two employee at a com- at a corporation, you're building a brand. What do you think a personal brand? What does that mean in your mind? I believe we're introduced before we even have a conversation. People are looking you up online, whether you like it or not. They are judging you. They are actually giving a vote for, do I trust this person? Do I want to connect with them? Am I ever going to do business with them and all of this? And so what's happening is before you're entering a room, you have people that are talking about, and we've called it reputation before, right? I believe this online presence that's built is your brand, how you show up to meetings, where you are online, how do you engage with content? What's the content you're posting out there? What is it you actually do? What is it you say? What is it you believe? All of that gets put into, I believe, almost like this pot, and you go, that's who you are. That's your brand. When you show up, it should be something that people can look at. They can feel it. It's your energy. It's all the things that you stand for. And so what I recognized was I might have had a personal brand. It had no clarity. No one knew who I was, really. They didn't know what I stood for. And I was just, like, if you had that picture, you know those pictures, like, everybody's in, like, white, and there's, like, the one, like, red or whatever color you want to pick stands out. I was not standing out. And in my world, that's not good. Because mm. how are recruits going to find me? How are people wanting to buy a home going to find me? Well, they go online. And if I'm not showing up there, actually talking about what I do and how I can help them, I'd be irrelevant. So what do you think is the most important part about building a personal brand to begin with? If somebody was listening and said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've heard about this personal branding thing. I don't really know what it is. What, what, do you, what would you say? Start with being a thousand percent authentic. It's got to be you. I think we've all made the mistake, and I was in that camp of like, I would see what someone else was doing. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go copy that. I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna be Gary Vee, you know, or whoever it is out there. You gotta be you, which starts with you getting clear on who you are, your vision, your values, your beliefs, and then your content will actually come out of that. Content becomes easy when you get clear on who you are. Mm-hmm. What are the problems you solve? What do people usually talk to you about? And I started to realize, wow, branding actually starts there doesn't start over here. Yes, videos are great. Yes, editing's great. Quote cards are amazing. Show up online, do podcasts. All that stuff's cool. Those are just vehicles. If you're not clear on who you are and what you stand for, when someone actually gets you on a stage or you get an opportunity, you don't want your brand and people to think you're this and you show up and in person. You ever met somebody and you're like, you thought they were this and you meet them and you're like, that's, that's like a phony. That's not, they're not real. <laughs> There's no substance. So I would make sure your brand has substance and it's who you are. That's I, the best of it. Well, I think it's great advice. And I think that your question there at the end about have you ever met somebody and then they didn't live up to the hype. What's funny now is I have a lot of people that I know personally who are trying to get online and build the personal brand. I'm like, dude, that's not you at all, man. What are you doing? This is this is you've never acted like that or talked like that yeah. in person. <laughs> Why are you doing that on Instagram, man? Quit. So uh, personal branding is such a weird thing. I, you know, the real Jason Duncan as a personal brand happened because I needed an Instagram name and Jason Duncan was already taken. So I did the real, you know, just put the real in front of it. It was okay. That it wasn't even a branding play. It was just, I just needed a name. Love it. But then when I hired a branding coach and I'm like, she goes, that's your brand. That's who you are. But okay. So then I got the logo design, the whole thing. And I even changed the name of my coaching company to TRJD Enterprises just to fit because I was using another another brand name yeah. and it was competing with the personal brand. So I, I'm a, I'm a hundred percent believer in the idea of the personal brand because I think we've not even seen what that's going to be long-term and how it's going to affect. It's evolving. My concern about it, and, and you might not have to share the same concern because of your employment status as opposed to mine, but my concern about it is that businesses with people's names on them aren't worth as much as businesses that don't have people's name on Like Coca-Cola is worth something because it's Coca-Cola, not because it's I don't even know the guy's name that invented it, but, yeah. you know, but, but like a chiropractor or, uh, or anybody puts or a lawyer puts his name on it. I've got a client right now who's his law firm is his name and he's already talking with me about, I got to change the name. If I'm going to grow this thing, it's going to be worth something. Scale it. Do you yeah. think that's a concern for personal branding? What do you, what do you think about that? So here's my view on it is I think the two can complement each other if it's done right. So I take my situation, right? Like there needs to be a Lone Depot brand that is known for us to scale and to grow and actually be a dominant lender. But the, the bigger piece should be my brand. People still do business with people. I believe that. Right. So when they come join our team, they're calling me. 
they're, they're doing business. If, if a loan officer is in the market and a customer or a real estate agent is going to refer them, yes, they know that I work at Loan Depot, but they're referring to me because of who I am in that relationship. And so what I've told everybody is there's companies that exist, some that I've worked for, that was almost 80-20, 80% was the company, 20% was the employee, right, the team member. And that branding, I don't believe that branding works today. I think it needs to be flipped and it should be 20% company, just as a rule of thumb. Because that's the foundation. That's where trust is built. Sometimes people go online, trust your company. But the 80%, you, you've got to know what you stand for and show up and be part of that. So if somebody's got their own business separately, it's a whole other ball game, right? But you got to think about that. Like a lot of mergers happening, a lot of acquisitions that could happen there. The name change to me wouldn't bother me as much as, do you have a culture? Do you have something that's scalable? Do you actually have customers that if you were to change the name, do they care? Because some businesses, they might care. Maybe some people do business because the name is on there. Yeah, I think it varies. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're probably right. What would you What would you say is Brian Covey's definition of success? Because this show is the root of all success. So what 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 do you, how do you define that word? So I've been going back to this, and I've actually changed my mind on this because when I grew up, success I feel like was defined for me. Right? There was like, you got to make six figures. You got to have this car. You got to have this house. Like all these things are, you got to have this job title. The last year I've been really writing and kind of journaling about success needs to be defined on my terms. What is it that Brian and also my wife, Nicole, what is it we view success as? And I will tell you something I've been including in there is there's no hourly rate. There's no replacement for family time. And so I've viewed success as do my kids get time with me? Do they look up to me? Do they know the values we stand for? Am I building a legacy with, with my kids? Look, part of that is me earning an income and like providing an environment for them and all that. But I view success as, are there gonna be people at my funeral one day that there's a legacy that I've actually created a better life for them? Did I leave them better than when I found them? And I think about success as people don't always have to remain on our team. And in our industry, I've had people get promoted out and they've gone to other companies. But did I create more success in their life? Because really, that's like, I'm the tree and all these branches that I can create, that will be the success that I'm known for. But number one is my family. And I let people know my faith as well, like being successful. At the end of the road, like when God asked me, what did I do with all the talents he gave me? I don't look back and go, I made a lot of money for these companies. That's, that's not success. That's not going to cut it in my, in my view of it. And so I've really started to redefine what does success look like for me? And, and I think for me, at the end of the day, it's going to be all around What's the family I'm raising? Who are the people that I've inspired to live a better life? And what's the actual lasting impact that I've left? Have I left this place better? It starts with our family at home. So with that as a definition, do you consider yourself to be successful? Absolutely. But here's what I'd say. The caveat to that is the driven side of me, the achiever, the competitive side is I'm not done yet. I'm happy with where I am, but you know what? There's this fuel, like the athlete in me that goes, there's no way I'm done. Like I'm driven every day that what's, what's next? What's, what's the next step for us? Because it's, it's almost like, you know, I worked out yesterday. Well, I got to work out today. This is, like yesterday doesn't count for today. So I believe you're creating success and you're looking forward to what's the next thing that you can do to make sure that success doesn't end yesterday. You've got you've to continue that and create it. Well, in your story of being successful, coming up through the corporate ranks and the loan and, and the mortgage industry, and also being an investor, an entrepreneur on the side with what you've got going on with your investments, real estate investments, et cetera, what do you think in your mind is the biggest contributor to your success? Personal development. thousand percent. I go back to when I was a soccer player, I never settled on being good enough. Like when I made every team, I was always driven to like, what, what do I need to work on? And I remember, for example, I'm left-footed. And one of my coaches when I was 13, I'll never forget, was like, you gotta start working. Your right foot needs to be as good as your left foot. And I've just always thought about things like that is like, how do you continually get better? And so right now I have a coach that's working with me. And it was very intentional in seasons of my life. I hired a recruiting coach years ago because I felt like I need to improve, it's part of my job. I hired a media company to help me with social media and branding. And so I have stepped out. I think what's helped me is I've never been afraid to go out and invest money in myself. And, and was I hesitant? Yeah, I was hesitant. 
but I wasn't afraid. I knew on the other side of it, when I put money behind something that I'm committed to, I'm going to get a result. And so I think that's what's differentiating me. As I look at people today, and Jason, I would say, they, they put a toe in the water. Like in investing $1,000 in your success for the year, for most people's income that are probably listening to this, you're not even touching the surface. And I've started to use a rule of thumb, like tithing 10%. I started to say like, what if I invested 10% of my income back in myself? The game changed. Mm-hmm. When did you start doing that? Four years ago. I so, wish I could tell you it was earlier than that. Yeah. A little before that, but really got serious four years ago. And can I tell you the exponential growth? The people that knew me five years ago were like, what the hell happened to you? And I'm like, I got, I got serious about my success and about where I'm going as not just a dad, but a leader, you know, and as a husband, like there's, there's things I want to accomplish in this life. And maybe it was because I was entering my 40s, right, at that point. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not promised forever here. Like there's this whole season behind me. Did you, did you leave any friends behind? And let me clarify my question. Yeah. I mean, if you got really serious and you moved and you moved so fast, so quickly, and other people didn't, did you, did you notice a change in some of those friendships yeah. that people didn't keep up with? How'd that yeah. go? So I changed companies, which was part of my evolution, which I felt like I was a better cultural fit with where I am. And that's, that's not to say the other company was bad or good or any of that. It's just to say, I felt like for me to grow, I need to be in an environment that would help me and I would be able to contribute. And so, yes, there are people that I look back and go, man, I'd love for them to come along the ride with me because had they stayed with me, maybe they would have been in a different place. But there's people, look, you can't save everybody. And I've realized that. There's people that I want to come along with this. Just like when you look at today and you go, and why aren't they taking action? Not everybody's going to be in that journey with you. So I've tried to level up. And there are seasons, just like sports, not everybody's going with you. And you're going to find a new group that's going to inspire and motivate you and go with you. But those lifelong friends, like I still have some of my lifelong friends. We're going to be friends. It doesn't mean, though, that we have the same standards and goals and like our view of success is the same. That's okay. But there are people that you're going to have to come to grips with. They're on the same journey you're on. They're yeah. on their journey. Yeah, that's okay. You and I, you and I have a very similar story in that it was late in our development or as, uh, in life. Later, I guess we're we're in our forties. We're not yeah. we're not we're not old yet, right? Not yet. Although my kids <laughs> think I'm old, but but uh, you know, we I hired a coach about I think it was five years ago. It was the first time I hired a coach, and and everything changed, hundred percent. And I'd wanted to hire one for a long time. And my ex-business partner at the time, he's like, nah, we're, you know, we're smart enough. We can do it on our own. And to a degree, he was correct. I mean, we were, we were no slouches. We knew what we were doing. But, but it's the perspective that we were missing. And I think, I, go, I think back now that had I hired the coach in 2010, 2011, when I started the company, you know, where would the company be now? Where would I be now? And, of course, you can what if forever. Yeah. But, but I'm almost certain, and I think you would agree, that had I hired the coach, I would definitely be in a much bigger place right now. Yeah, I would. But I also think this, there was a season I needed to go through that I had some really good mentors and I had people that were helping me through those seasons of my life that then prepared. When I was ready, that's what I say to people, it's like, like you, sometimes you've got to step out there. And so when I was ready, I was all in. And I think I accelerate and that's what drives me some days is, I do feel like I'm making up for a little bit of lost time some days. Yeah. And that's why I, I'm not afraid to take risks. I'm not afraid to go all in on certain things because what if it doesn't work out? So what? We'll adapt. We'll move forward. But that was, that was a game changer. Yeah, our ability to adapt will always outperform our ability to plan. You oh, know? Isn't that the truth? It will always adapt better. It's like just dealing with the last couple of years with the pandemic. Had we all been warned two years ahead of time, hey, this is going to happen. No plans we'd ever put in place would have prepared us for the insanity we had to deal with with what the government did to us. No. Um, so, but we adapted. We've pushed through, and uh, thankfully and hopefully, this thing's all over behind us now, and move on to new crises. <laughs> the skills we learned, though, the things that our kids, you know, they're I going know. through and learning. And someone said you know, we had to learn adaptability. You got to live it. You know, like think about being a kid at home and you're on Zoom and you're learning these skills that are, are going to pay off later. Yeah, the generation coming up, I mean, the kids, how old are your kids? I've got a six, 13, and then about to be 15. Okay, so your kids are younger than mine. Mine are 19 and 21. So the kids who are in probably more your kids' age than mine, that entire generation of children for two years, it could shape their life that it'll never be It'll never be like ours. That's right. Because 
everything we do now and things we think about the how we perceive threats or or illnesses is, is going to be forever changed but i think what your perspective is so good is that they lived adaptability and and anytime they ever complain in the future like yeah remember you did you did pretty good back then you were okay and the gift i tell everybody is that gift allowed me to figure out ways to be more productive we launched the podcast we did the book I got more family time than I've gotten in years because I was off the road. And that was a season that we'll look back, I believe will be transformational for our family because we got to really build bonds and we got to create memories and things that had we just been going through, maybe that doesn't happen. Yeah. What's the biggest uh, thing you're working on right now that you're the most excited about? Hmm. So with my new coach, we've outlined, and this has been new for me, we've outlined three major goals. One's a business goal. One is on my second book that we're writing. And the third is a legacy component. And what I'm probably the most excited about is I have actionable items every week and I've been given a process and a blueprint. to like, I felt like I was successful before. Like there was, you could check the boxes, right? And I'm like, okay, I got those. He's helping me tap into things at the next level. Like we just did strength finders, went through my five strengths. I love it. Yeah. And I haven't taken it over 10 years, right? So he goes through those yesterday on our call and he's like, this is where you need to, lean in on this. This is where you need to lean in on that. This is what's going to help you here. This is what's going to help you here. And what I'm most excited about is I've got the right coach at the right moment that is helping me perform at a better level than I could, not only in business, but at home. I feel like there's things that I'm more present and aware of. And when you're more aware and you have this, like, I call it like this hypersensitivity, I'm recognizing opportunities that I didn't before. And whether it's business or even just Look, it's even just figuring out my schedule so I can be present with my kids more. Like that kind of stuff matters. So I'm excited about that because I don't think I've tapped into my full potential yet. And that's what a great coach will help you do. So that's what that's what I'm looking forward to is this guy's dialing me in to things that you don't know what you don't know, right? Like yeah. I always say those things, it's true. How do you how did you find your coach? Online on LinkedIn. Interesting enough, I started following his content. And it was speaking to me and it was all about leadership. It was all about culture and all this stuff. And so I reached out, asked him to join the podcast. I was like, hey, will you come on my podcast? Like, I, you clearly have a lot of value to add. We talk and you know when you just know. And afterwards, he never asked me once, could he be my coach? Wasn't a sales pitch, wasn't any of those things. But there was that moment that I always say there's that instinct in us. And I said, hey, can we have a conversation? And so I took that conversation. We got to know each other. Probably three conversations in, I said, what does it look like for me to hire as my coach? Here's my goals. Here's where I want to get to. Can you help me get there? I was very specific. Like, this is what I need. This is what I want. I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm coachable. That's, that's the number one thing I tell people about what I think has helped in some of my success is I am very coachable from my athlete days. Yeah, it prepared you for this now. And look, like we don't always want to hear the feedback, but at the end of the day, here's what I've experienced is when a great coach comes alongside you, they will tell you things you may not want to hear, but they help you get better. Yeah. And I'm down for that. Yeah, sometimes what we need to hear is what we don't want to hear. That's it. That's We all want validation. <laughs> You're right. And that's nice to have in there, but yeah. it's the other parts of it. I like the challenge, and they talk about it all the time in life, is like the climb is where true champions are made. Yeah. So what's the thing you're working on right now that scares you the most? There's a couple of big dreams and things. Like we're closing on the property today in Florida. And there's some things that I want to expand out and I'm going to get outside of my lane on some things with two market media, with our group that we talked about, um, writing my second book. I'm speaking on several stages this year. I'm stepping outside of what my, what I would call my comfort zone. I love to lead our team at Lone Depot. I love to do mortgage. Like that's been my wheelhouse for 20 years, but stepping out like the other day, I just wrote my first article for entrepreneur and there's things like that. They're like, that's not my lane, but maybe it is. And so that scares me a little bit because it's, I never want someone to think, wow, Brian's not doing this over here. I actually think they're all actually 100% integrated. The best leaders are the ones that can write, they can speak, they can do these things. They're not afraid to take on risks. They're not afraid to take on challenges. How can I inspire my team to go take on risks and challenges and be bold if I'm not going to do it? So it scares me a little bit because look, on the other side of it, you got to suck before you're good at it, right? So. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's, that's really true. Now, as we, as we close out the show, I want to give you an opportunity to give some advice to the okay. listeners. So the listeners are mostly an entrepreneurial crowd and there's on there span the gamut of everything, entrepreneurship, the early start. And I would even say 
that they fall, a lot of them fall in the same camp that you, where they're, they don't really have an intention of necessarily starting a company, an LLC, uh, outside of investing, that type of thing. But they, but they have an entre entrepreneurial spirit as much as you do about risk and innovation. And then you got on the other side, you've got these guys that built a, a bazillion dollar companies and they're oh, doing yeah. fantastic. But I want you to, I want you to give some advice to people on the first side of that. What would you say as an entrepreneur with an entrepreneurial spirit, who's built something pretty phenomenal as a VP at Lone Depot, you're recruiting some of the top talent in the country. You're helping people achieve the, the cornerstone of their wealth with their homes. Um, you're helping people get the dream of home ownership. You're doing great things with a personal brand. You got a lot going for you, Brian. And, and, and the fact that you're a soccer star back in the day and use that to prepare you for what you're doing now. What would you say to those guys, those girls that are on that side? What's your advice? Just general advice on what we, if you had a room mm. full of those people, what would you say to them? As I go back, the number one lesson, if I were to share it, would be the people that you choose to surround yourself with are going to shape and mold you. And whether that's listening to a podcast, whether that's showing up to an event and making relationships with people that you want to learn from, is choose the people that you allow into your life wisely. For parts of my, my journey, I allowed people into my life that were negative, that would tell me, you can't do that. Why would you do that? That's going to stunt your growth. And when you start to sense that, you need to break free from that. And you need to surround yourself with people that are going to challenge you, but they're also going to inspire you and say, yeah, Jason, could you do bigger? Could you do more? They need to inspire you at home and at the office. What I have found over the last couple of years, even through COVID and all of this lockdown, the couple trips that I've intentionally made that I've spent money to invest and go to specific events, the relationships I've formed from those have resulted in business ventures. They've resulted in my education to understand something, to go, I'm going to make this decision, not that decision. I'm going to say yes to this, no to that. You don't realize how important that is because the way you think is the way you behave and it's how you make decisions. And I underestimated that. I thought I could just be around an average group of people. Like, because usually, right, they say, the average is those five people that you surround yourself with. What if you broke out of that mold and you started to surround yourself and you asked someone for help? The biggest thing I think, especially as men, we don't do is we do not ask for help. When I reached out, for example, I'll, I'll use Dave Meltzer as the great example. When I reached out, I said, I need help. I'd love to have you on my show. I'm trying to do this. Would you come on? That one break, that one person introduced me to multiple other people. Ask for help, surround yourself with amazing people and dream exceptionally big. I think for too long, I was like, well, I came from this and you know, I'm just from Memphis. This is all, we, like, this is what my friends, this is what success looks like. Like we've done it. Don't be afraid to be the one person that just breaks out and does something phenomenal. That's great. It's great advice, man. That's really good. I've lived it. Well, so. it, well, it's obvious too. I mean, it's been a it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and getting to know you because, as I said at the on, onset of the show, you know, you were recommended by two different <laughs> yeah. people at, at the same time, and I can see now why people are impressed by you and say you got to know Brian Covey. You got to get around this guy. I got to get in the rooms with him. And I love that piece of advice at the end because I tell. I tell everybody, especially my kids, I tell them, you're going to be the average of the five people you hang around with the most. And, and as you use the word choose, it is a choice. Yes. You're making that choice. And the decisions that you make on those choices of who you hang out with will affect your destiny. Whether it's in marriage, you know, choosing a spouse is the single most important decision you'll Absolutely. ever make in your life. You know, who you, who you hang out with is probably the second most. And I love your advice because so many entrepreneurs are, they're stuck in their, they're stuck in the ruts of, what the, who the people hang out with. And when I started hanging out with different people, man, things start changing. You start to think different. You act different. And what's cool about that is when you start to do that, guess who you will attract on the other side of that? And it's this constant, I feel like I'm always leveling up to learn more as a student of the game. I just want to be around people that are on that journey because people that are hungry to learn, you'll know. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This has been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. It's cool. Finally got to do one in person, right? <laughs> well, thanks for coming to Henderson, man. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Another very successful person talking about his journey to success. And, and again, admittedly, not the typical entrepreneur that we talk, we'll talk with on the show, but I love how he defined himself as an entrepreneur with an entrepreneurial spirit, willing to take risks, willing to do what's nice and right for him and his family. And I, and I love his focus on family because 
I'm a family guy too. You know, I, I, my wife is my best friend. My kids are awesome. And I want to do what I can do to provide the best life for them. And, and success for me, just like for him, is to making sure that at the end of the day, they're taken care of. As a matter of fact, my vision for my life, my vision statement that I, can, that I wrote down a couple of years ago is that at the end of my life, I want to be seen and known as someone who made Jesus and my wife happy. <laughs> like if I could figure out how to, at the end of the day, to live those two things, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty successful guy. And I think that Brian agrees, agrees with that sentiment. So thank you for tuning in. I do want to say this. We talked a lot on this show today about the importance of a coach and how a coach can take you to that next level. And he talked about hiring his coach four years ago. I hired my coach about five years ago. And for both of us, our lives changed forever and will forever be different. And our family tree will be different because of that decision to hire a coach. And it, it, it may sound self-serving because I am a coach to say and reiterate those things, but it in fact is true. Brian just talked about it and how much it's impacted his life, I, I, how much it impacted mine as well. So if you're interested in a coaching relationship with me as a business coach, I focus on something called a business accelerator plan. So I've got this 12, it's a 12 week, eight session business accelerator where I take you through everything that I did to get myself from a multi-million dollar company status to move to the next level. And moving to that next level sometimes is the harder thing to do. I've had clients go through it that say, well, Jason, you know, I know you're the exit guy. You teach people to exit without exiting, which is true. But I had one guy say recently, you actually taught me how to enter my business. He said, I wasn't running it right. You taught me how to run it right. So don't think that just because I talk about exiting, that's all I talk about. It's accelerating your business to the next level. And I think Brian even talked about in our conversation about acceleration and getting to that next level. And uh, Mark Beinhoff, I think is his name. I can't remember his name. The CEO of Salesforce said that speed is the new currency of business. And you need speed. And that's what the Business Accelerator does. If you're interested in looking into it, go to ExitWithoutExiting.com. ExitWithoutExiting.com. And you can read about it. I've got one that's starting very soon. And I'd love for you to be in that. And if you've got interesting questions that you want to talk about that, just reach out to me directly through my website. And I'll be happy to talk with you. So thank you for being here today. Tune, again, tune in again next week when I talk with yet another very successful person about his or her journey to success. Until then, I'm the real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, we invite you to visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Take charge of your business. Grow it from great to incredible. Join us again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>